0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways, sponsored by the NoCast app. This is your season two, episode number 12, and I'm your host, Court Whitman. If you enjoy this podcast and the conversation I have with my incredible guest, please consider learning more about me at CourtWhitman.com. So for all new listeners out there, if this is your first time joining us, let me tell you a little bit about what this podcast is all about, my vision, my intent. Private Performance Pathways is a purpose-built and specially selected collection of someone's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. This content is collected during a one-on-one interview, and then we share it with you. Why? Because I believe everyone has a different path to high performance. And hearing about the past that other professionals have journeyed along is informative and it's inspiring. During each episode of High Performance Pathways, it's my intent to do five things for you, the listener. Number one, connect. I'm going to connect you to someone else so you can build out your professional relationships. Number two, I'm going to ask questions to understand. Number three, I'm going to share to raise perspective. Number four, I'm going to teach to increase your competence. And number five, I'm going to inspire. Inspire you as a listener with an intent to trigger in some small way your growth as you listen to this conversation. Now, look, there's one additional note to cover as you continue listening here. This podcast is raw, meaning there's no post production editing. We record live and deliver it to you exactly as it was recorded. And you know what? We love that here. It's an authentic conversation and we're excited to bring it to you. Now, let me talk about my guest. My guest today is Jonathan Mayo. Jonathan is involved in a number of businesses as what I like to call a serial entrepreneur with a focus in the restaurant, marketing, and software industries. Specifically, and in 1997, Jonathan founded and is the president for Avail Incorporated, a marketing firm. In that same year, Jonathan became the co-owner of Mama Jay's Restaurant specializing in Southern cuisine and located in Richmond, Virginia area. Fast forward, in 2014, Jonathan became the president and CEO of Team Excel, a youth development program and platform that motivates youth and young athletes to excel in the classroom. And then two years later, Jonathan went on to found and now serves as the CEO of Serving Up Change a cause marketing platform that allows restaurants to manage donation requests and raise money for local and national community organizations. And I just learned, because I just talked with my incredible guest before we went live here, that he's also involved with a company called Crow. Yes, Crow, y'all. Crow Cookies. And I can't wait for y'all to hear about this incredible idea. You see, Jonathan is just a passionate person. And he loves building out brands and starting companies and really just has a desire to have an impact and a positive one on society. You see, Jonathan and I met a couple years ago um, and it was back at VMI. Jonathan's a VMI graduate. I'll talk about that here in a second. I am too. He's, he's, he's a bit longer in the tooth than me. So Jonathan's been in the game a bit longer. Ain't that right, man? That's right. <laughs> but not too much, right? A couple years, we'll call it two two years ahead of me, and so I'm going to get some some insight here, too, as we have this conversation, but bottom line is, you know, there's a, there's a, a club at VMI that was started a number of years ago called the Pramaji Club there in Lexington, Virginia, and I have a close friend that I played football with, Andre Curtis and Andre Thornton and Mike Rogers, three of my teammates from from football there at VMI that, that are heavily involved and in, I would call, the leadership of this club called Pramaji now, and I came to Lexington and Jonathan came too, and we collided there and we both volunteered our time to support uh, really a a two-day team building and mentorship activity with some local at-risk youth there in the area and so hey Jonathan I'm so thrilled that I had that chance to to get connected to you uh in that moment on a deeper level I know that our 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 kind of contact has been intermittent since then, but I'm so excited to have you here on the show, man, and just want to thank you uh, for the perspective that I know that you'll share on just kind of your passion for service, your kind of journey as an entrepreneur, and in my opinion, this quest that you've been on just chasing high performance in your life. So, thanks for being here, man.
1: Well, course. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be with you today. Uh, We're you know, interesting times in our nation right now, you know, dealing with this this virus. Um, so I, I know we'll talk a little bit about that, but but it's been great to connect with you. And I, and I appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit about myself and my businesses and, and things that we're doing for the community. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, man, no doubt. Um, you certainly inspired me in um, the conversations that we've had uh, and, and just my research and preparation for, for having you on here today. It's incredible when I, when I reflect and think to myself that this man um, has been on the grind almost his whole life and in a way in which it was on his terms. And you certainly probably would say, hey, Court, uh, look, it was a whole lot different than that. And we might get some insight into that. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking back to 1997 and that was really when you started activating some of the desires to be in partnership with others and ownership of companies or even starting your own with avail incorporated and so um anyway i'm excited about where the conversation will go and, and just know that hey you know it's you're specially selected man purpose built there's no one else you'd want to share this time with together today and you're right when you kind of talked about the uncertainty that exists right now um i think for me it's day four thursday Here in North Carolina, I'm having my kids not in school. And uh, that's just a small, you know, just a small little piece of what the entire nation's going through. And so maybe we could just start right there, man. Um, I know you're involved with the restaurant there in Richmond, Mama J's. And I see, I'm I'm watching the news now more than ever, and there's been a call for restaurants to close. So curious, man, if any impact you'd want to share to Mama J's given what's going on with COVID 19? Coronavirus, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah, sure, Um It's it's been tough. Um, is that I'm not involved in the day to day operation of the restaurant. Um, I'm a minority owner of Mama Jay's, but I talked to my you know partner and um, best friend Lester Johnson, who was actually my roommate at VMI. Uh, Lester played basketball. I was also a mechanical engineer major at VMI, and it's really tough. I mean, we you know you want to always take care of your people. And, you know, also do the right thing to make sure that we're doing our part to, you know, stifle the virus. Uh, the restaurants move to takeout and delivery only. Um, so we don't have any in, you know, in restaurant guests right now, which is a significant impact to revenue. You know, we want to make sure we can be a business that stays around. We celebrated 10 year anniversary last year. Um and I think Lester has about 60 people on the payroll, so that's a lot of lives that are impacted when we can't be in business. Wow. So it's tough, you know, it's um, it's really tough. I mean, I know he's been making tough decisions daily, uh, communicating with employees and just trying to lead and, and make sure we could do the right thing by our people and also make sure that we can be a, a, a valuable business when, when we get through this thing so they can have jobs, and, you know, come back to jobs and um, so it's been tough, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think we'll all get through it. Um, it sounds like our, you know, our government and just, you know, nonprofits, businesses, people are coming together. And that's the great thing to see that that everybody's coming together right now to get through this thing. So I think we'll be okay on the other end.
0: Yeah, man, no doubt. And j- just a quick shout out to uh, small business owners. Uh, I don't know that I would qualify 60 people on payroll as small by any means, but you know maybe it is and maybe i need to lean into you the yeah. man with the man with the mba to help me quantify from <laughs> metric space what's a small business or not but i mean seriously man just a shout out real quick to the small business owner um, that's trying to make a decision i mean cuz guess what you, you, once you decide to start a business you are that head mf'er in charge you know i mean the burden of leadership wow. the burden of management is now on you and you and lester are struggling with what do we do to, in your own words, to ensure the long term viability of the business and then to honor and take care of the employees 60 under your charge because you, you obviously care about them. And so, also in this moment, I'm just going to challenge to any, anyone that may find themselves at risk for work. And I can just tell you, I talked to my brother yesterday and he said he's going to be off a, without a paycheck, he's going to get his last one for this month. And then he's probably going to go two months without a paycheck. So, uh, you know, it does, it's not really escaping anybody. Um, But what, but in this moment, I just want to call out if if you're that person, put yourself in the shoes of the owner of that company just for a moment and seek to understand some of the decisions that they're trying to make. And they may not be doing a good job of communicating to you why it is they're having to do that. But, you know, so just, Appreciate you allowing me to to, to just marinate on that for a second. You know, small little, you know, touch on management and the burdens that are associated with it in this life of being an entrepreneur um, that sometimes I don't even know you and Lester may have appreciated when you got things rolling that you'd be at this point uh, dealing with these decisions you got to make. So, right, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and
1: I would, I would also say to small business owners, just make sure you, you know, do the right thing. You know, that's one thing we all, you know, I think we learned We're both coming out of DMI just always try to do the right thing. Um, I talked to my mom yesterday and I was furious, man. One of her 88 year old friends was going out to get her nails done. And <laughs> my mom tried to talk her out of it. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm sure this nail technician needs the money. But that's not the right thing to do to have an 88-year-old woman come out of the house who has had health conditions, and I'm sure she was aware of it, to go get your nails done. You know, so in times like this, sometimes we have to make really, really tough decisions, but we always have to make sure we do the right thing, you know. And and sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it, it might hurt us in the pocket, but I truly believe when you do the right thing, it comes back to you and you'll be okay on the end. So that's the other thing I'll say is you you kind of piggyback on on your notes to small business owners and just people out here in general, as we get through these tough times, just if we all do the right thing, we'll all all end up okay on the other side.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, what a great call out uh, to just use this platform for a moment for the folks listening. Um, I had a phone call from a close friend last night living in Denver that said, hey, Court, you got any insight to the government shutdown? Because I'm about to take a trip to Florida with my family um, for spring break. And I said, hold up, man. Y- y- you're about to go to Florida? H- you don't have the news on? And, and, and I'm, Honestly, he <laughs> right, was like, right, what, right, what, right. What, do you, what do you mean, man? And his concern was, I don't want to get stuck because the airline won't service me and get me home. Now, granted, the man's dealing with, I think, 13 inches of snow that fell last night, uh, and he's wanting to see Florida, probably had spring break planned. But I said, hey, man, let, 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 I'm not telling you what to do. You are a grown man, let's just, but let's do, and I didn't say do the right thing, but that's what I'm saying. In my own way, right. I tried to, hey, man, the nation is calling for people to socially distance and not even travel out of state. And right. so I would say, and th- what I introduced was, hey, man, what if you end up finding yourself on a three-month three vacation in Florida because guess what? They locked the, the, the state down, and you can't get back to Denver. And so I right, think we left the right. conversation with him convinced that he's not making that trip. But, I mean, that's just an example of some people that, I mean, look at uh, the, everyone still going to spring break. The beaches and some of the footage I've seen on TV are, are so crowded. Yeah. So so Jonathan's saying, hey, do the right thing because let's think about the long-term health of this country um, and, and I, I have my own Testament, right? I had a speaking engagement in New Jersey on Wednesday of this week. Um, you know, a, a multi thousand dollar engagement that was really hard for me to pass on. But on Sunday before yeah. traveling on Monday, I called the client and said, Hey, look, in good conscience, I can't make this trip. And I apologize that, that I'm not able to serve you. And it's probably has an impact to your, your company and the event that you wanted to do but I just can't do it. And you know what that person said? He said, Court, okay. I'm so glad you brought this up because I've been waiting on something like this to help be the catalyst for me just to cancel this and get it rescheduled. Yeah. And he said, hey, man, will you come in May? Let's move this thing to May. And so oh, yeah. sometimes when you do the right thing, good things you do happen. the right thing. So things still happen, man. Yeah, yeah, man. No doubt. Thanks for sharing that. I think it's important. So for folks listening, I hope you know make meaning in that in a way that you think is most effective for you and your family. I'd like to continue here, man, with just some more insight into you, Jonathan, if I can. And specifically, I'm gonna go way back, my man. Um, Kind of just curious about any reflections that you've thought about just how maybe your life was developed even at a young age. And so I'm curious, man, as you look back. On young Jonathan um, what was it like for you growing up Um, what based upon the way you grow up may have been the catalyst for you to kind of step into this entrepreneurship and and just work that you've been doing for years and you know just give give us maybe some insight man on uh, a role model or mentor that may have showed up for you thoughts man you can take that anywhere you want
1: yeah yeah, so I so I grew up in in Richmond, Virginia. Um and I tell people I I spoke to a class, um, high school group of seniors a few weeks ago here in Richmond and and you know, I share with them I was, you know, raised by a single parent mother. It was myself and my, my older sister. And we didn't have a lot, but like I told them I didn't I never felt like I went without. You know, we always had food, we always had clothing. Um, we, had a, we had a modest lifestyle. My mom was a school teacher, um, and so you can imagine a school teacher raising two kids on her own. It was it was not easy, mm-hmm. um, but I always had love. I always had family, um, and you know I, I had a mother who I think my my inspiration for the core of the work that I do with you know giving back to others and always feeling that need really came from my mom. I said, you know, being a school teacher, uh, she taught middle school, and she was more than a teacher. You know, she was like a second mother to some of her students. She taught in the inner city in Richmond. Um, I tell people the story when her first job as a teacher was Mosby Middle School. It's it's now called MLK. Um, But she was on that original staff when the school opened. When she retired 37 years later, uh, she was the only uh, teacher from that original staff that opened the school. Um, wow. spent her whole career there and so she impacted a lot of lives I mean it's, it was nothing for us to be you know around Richmond and someone come up you know an adult to say oh Miss Mayo I remember you and you know you did so much for me and you know I think I really the core what I, I think I stand for what I try to do really came from from my mom you know and I, I had other role models you know not having my dad around when I was younger um you know, uncles and older cousins uh, that played sports. Um, and I was an athlete. I played football, uh, played some basketball, but football was my main sport. Um, so I had some cousins that were older, that were role models. Um, I had an uncle who was a really successful businessman who who moved out of Richmond and worked for Aetna and was a top executive for Aetna in New York. And and so always, even though he wasn't, you know, close to Rich when I was younger, I always knew he was there and, you know, would see him over the holidays and, um, you know, just had that inspiration from him. that man, if I work hard, you know, I could really, you know, do something, you know, great. Um, but then my family, you know, just my family being around, my, my coaches from playing sports, you know, several role models there. Um, when I went to VMI, I had a, a role model and mentor, Glenn Jones, I don't know if you know Mr. Jones, but he was he worked for Bell Atlantic and I did an internship there. So he was one of my key mentors, you know, coming out of high school, I interned at Bell Atlantic and was introduced to Glenn Jones. And, you know, he, he he's still a mentor to me today. Um, so I, I've been fortunate to have a lot of people in my life that, that really helped, kind of got me. And like I said, really, the core of it really started with my mom, uh, really seeing that, you know, what she did to sacrifice for, you know, myself and my sister, but also for the kids that she taught in school, you know, and my other cousins. And um, she just had a giving spirit. And so I think that's one thing I, I've taken from her. Um, and then the entrepreneurship, bro, I, I mean, I started that as I was probably 12 uh, when I had my first business. No way. Uh, my very <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I was actually, if you go all the way back, I was actually probably eight or nine. My first job, my aunt had a huge paper route. I mean, it was like ten paper routes together.
0: No way, and I man. Would go see.
1: This, yeah, this, yeah.
0: We in a movie, <laughs> like we're, we're really talking about the paper route at, at nine years old. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah continue, man, please. I just, I'm yeah. just so moved to, to just comment on that because it's almost like you see it in a movie, You're like, okay, but no, continue, man, because and let me just say something for a second. I'm blown away by men and women like you that go back to that young age and the hustle, right? Because it, it, yeah. it wasn't part, it, it, I can't identify with that, right? It wasn't part of my development. Um but I love hearing it. I mean, I, I got another guy I talked to that has 22 years and he's a partner in an investment banking company. And he's closing like $500 million deals in the work that he does. Wow. And he was reading the economist in the wall street journal when he was nine. So, wow! <laughs> you know, it ain't <laughs> wow. wall street journal for you, but it's a paper route. So please continue man with this story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, when I was about eight or nine, my, my aunt had this huge paper route. So I would go to her house and and sleep Saturday night in her little den, and we would get up at, like, three in the morning to start putting the, the Sunday papers together and mm. ride around the paper route. And and I would, I would throw the papers out in the yard and put the papers in the mailbox. Um, so that was, like, my first actual job that I got paid. And then I ended up having my own paper route. So I had my own paper route. I was still helping my aunt. And I started my own lawn business, um, John's Lawn Service. And I share when I speak to kids, I still have a flyer that I made, drew by hand, um, that I passed out in the neighborhood. That was probably about 12. That was probably about 12 when I started my, my lawn business. And I would pull my lawnmower around the neighborhood. I had regular customers. Um, but, and that was, that was one of my first first jobs. So, uh, I've had that entrepreneurial
0: spirit for well, a I mean, long, long time. <laughs> and, 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 you know, let me just ask this question in this moment because it's resonating with me deeply. Why? Right? I mean, wh- why? I mean, because I'm thinking right now for someone listening that has a nine-year-old kid like I do, I just want them to sit down and listen to Jonathan Mayo in this moment and say, hey, I get up at 3 a.m. <laughs> on Sundays. And I did a paper route or I dragged a lawnmower around the neighborhood and cut grass. i tell you right now, man, my kids cannot identify with that. And maybe I'm doing something wrong as a parent, but I, why Jonathan? I mean, can you even comment on, on why that was for you at that age? Uh, gosh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to
1: say, man. I think I just, I think all of the people around me that like, that's what I saw. I mean, you just, you had to work hard if you wanted to have something, you know, and Damn. I think the entrepreneur book, um I think that was something that there weren't really any entrepreneurs in my family that I really could think of. I think sometimes that's just something that people it's just ingrained. Some people have it and some people don't have it. Sure. And there's nothing wrong to say one is better than the other. Like my uncle who was I mean, he was the president of in, in Endover, over the entire automotive and and short um, auto um, division there and very, very highly successful. And he never wanted to start his own business. He loved working in big corporations. He loved leading people in the corporate environment, you know, and I'm totally opposite. He was one of my role models, but I always wanted to have my own business and I had the entrepreneurial bug. So I tell, when I speak to kids that, you know, there's, there's no thing to say it's, you know, better to have this entrepreneurial spirit or better to work for organization. It's just what's better for you. You know, um, I want everybody to be inspired and motivated, whatever, you know, road you take, you know, mine just happened to be ingrained in me somehow My DNA to have an entrepreneurial bug. But like my mom, she worked in the school for 37 years, you know, it impacted a lot of, a lot of young people. Um, and that was her way of doing it. So we all have our very special way of, Making that impact, I think those of us who have an entrepreneurial bug, I think this is something you can't get away from. And a lot of times I hear people that work in a corporate world that say they want to move out, that they have it. We just haven't acted on it. Um, and I encourage those people to act on it when the time is right. But, you know, I don't think it's, I think it's just something inside of me. Um, yeah, and, I've, and I've enjoyed the ride.
0: Yeah, man. What a wonderful reflection. Appreciate you sharing it. I think it really gives the listeners an opportunity to to settle in with you and who you're all about as a man walking this earth. And and I just want to say in summary, man, shout out to the paper route, right? Or whatever the hell <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. is the new paper route for kids today, right? Shout out to the lawn cutting business at 11, 12 year old Jonathan dragging the damn thing around the neighborhood. Hey, shout out to Ben Jones. <laughs> You know, one of your mentors you called out here. And most importantly, shout out to mama, man, and the family.
1: Yeah, thank you. The
0: impact of the nuclear family is so critical on the development of our young men and women in this country, right? So if you're a parent, be fired up. And if you're a single parent, be fired up like Jonathan's mom here and the impact she had because you can do it, right? Even if you're by yourself make a huge impact and be inspirational, uh, as Jonathan is the testament right here of that. So, hey, man, let me continue because you opened the door to uh, a conversation about college and VMI, and I haven't talked about that in your bio yet, but as I understand it, you said Lester, your business partner at Mama J's is a mechanical engineer he was your roommate. As I understand it, you're a mechanical engineer. You also have an MBA from VCU. And I think you also have a degree, a master's in sports management, right? And so, I'm just, I'm I'm blown away for a moment, right? (laughs) How how does mechanical engineering become the birthplace or not the birthplace because the paper route was the birthplace, but how do you go from mechanical engineering to this entrepreneurial kind of just spirit? And so, before we go there, that's not a question, right? I'm just kind of ripping it right now. My, <laughs> okay. question, my question is I don't believe you served in the military, correct?
1: Correct, I did.
0: So, how the hell, my man, do you find yourself at a military college and the same one that I went to, and I know what that experience is like, and I was only there because I wanted to go in the army since i was a young kid not at a paper route but running around the woods playing soldier (laughs) why why vmi man that's a great
1: question um you know and i when i was when i was coming up coming through school uh my mom grew me to be an engineer so being a math teacher and i was good in math and science in, in, in school every summer i was at a Summer engineering program at Georgia Tech, UVA, Virginia Tech, Virginia State. Um, so I tell people she grew me to be an engineer. So I, so, so going into my junior senior year, I had in my mind I was going to be a mechanical engineer. And so I pretty much narrowed my college choices down to UVA and Georgia Tech. And my, I guess it was my junior year, my senior, early my senior year, um, a college recruiter from VMI came to. I went to Henryko High School in Richmond. And he's he, my coach said, "Hey, recruiter from VMI wants to talk to you." And the only thing I knew about VMI at that time, court, was it was a all male military school. Neither one of those things I had an interest in as a 17 year old young man was to <laughs> all male school, <laughs> coach a military school. Because you're right, I didn't have the military wasn't in my plans at that time. So I told my coach, "No, I'm not. You know, I'm not interested in talking to him." And <laughs> he said, well, it's a really good school. And I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't know any VMI grads, like nobody in my family, in my circle. Like I didn't know, I didn't know anyone that had gone to VMI.
0: That's interesting. And so,
1: yeah. So my immediate reaction was, no, nah, I'm not interested. Um, and I wasn't convinced that I was going to play college sports. I mean, I was, you know, a good football player, but I didn't think, I knew I wasn't going to play in, in NFL one day. Like I, I was realistic about my, my skill level. Um, But as I started to, he convinced me to at least have a conversation with the coach. And as I started researching and finding out more about BMI, I really just came to understand like how great of a school it was and the history of the school. I mean, the the challenge of it. um, And I heard a story about another athlete that went to another high school in the area that gone there and he had these horrible stories. He ended up leaving and the interesting thing was it actually didn't deter me. It actually made me more interested because I always loved the challenge. And so part of it became, you know, this is a school that, you know, they're kind of known for people dropping out and not finishing because it is so challenging. Then uh. that was actually the thing that said, you know what? I think I can do this. Like I, I actually liked the idea of going somewhere where it's a challenge and you know, you're respected when you, you can get through and make it through. And I knew in my head if I put my mind to something, I was going to finish. And so I never at one time during my four years even, it never even crossed my mind that I would leave. Even during the red line, like it never even crossed my mind that I would call my mom and say I'm coming home. Like it was never even a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, once I made that decision to go, out, I, I knew I was going to finish. And then the second thing was, I mean, they offered me a full scholarship for football, <laughs> so, you know, I, I I probably would have been able to maybe walk on at UVA or Georgia Tech. I probably wouldn't have played, um, and I may not have played at all. and may have just gone to those schools and been an engineer, um, but to be able to go to somewhere where it was a challenge, um, I had the ability to, you know, great engineering program, um, be in small classes, continue to play football. And to have my education paid for, which I knew I could take that burden of paying for college off my mom, um, that was a, another huge factor, um, knowing that, making that decision, um, that my mom wouldn't have to, you know, pay one dime for college. Um, mm. So that was the other huge thing. So, yeah, that's mm. all I need <laughs> for your mom.
0: No doubt, man. What, what a great story. Uh, appreciate you sharing it. And uh, what I was thinking about when you were going through kind of this reflection specifically around, you know, I don't know that you use these words, but um, you're just a man that's going to embrace challenge and you're not going to quit. You're not going to give up. Um, I was thinking, hey, hey coach, um, I didn't tell you about my paper route when I was nine, did you? I, I, I don't really <laughs> stop. You know what I'm saying? I've been getting up at 3 a.m. for a long time. BMI ain't got nothing on me. You know, so uh, thanks for sharing that, man. Hey, any memories of your time there that you'd want to share?
1: Yeah, I would say um, a couple of them. One, I would say matriculation. I mean, hell week. I think anybody that's gone to VMI, we, you know, we we can't forget hell week and just how it all gets started. Um, Graduation, you know, so starting, leaving, and I'll share a, a funny story with you. Um, I, was, I was known for sleeping in class. And, you know, my BRs, we could sleep, go to sleep anyway. I, I'd be asleep at the basketball
0: game. Hold on, man. Um, hold, that was kinda... hold on. I got to interrupt. <laughs> you, you have opened the door to sleeping in class. <laughs> I can't believe it, man. I wouldn't have believed it unless you told me, based upon everything you shared so far. Uh, but Continue.
1: Yeah, so I are two funny stories around that that you know, they, they remind me of. So, one, I don't know if you remember, it was Major Stevens. He was a history teacher. So, my ret right year, being an Emmy major, still had to take history. And I would sit in the front row, I would sit in the front seat, and he would lecture from his desk. And I would sit right in front of him, and I would to try to make myself stay awake and say, okay, if I sit in front of him, I won't go to sleep. I would look at him dead in the eye and I would fall asleep. And so (laughs) one day, I think he got tired of me falling asleep. And so he woke me and was like, Mayo, wake up. And he said, he knew I was an athlete, so he probably thought I had terrible grades. He said, Mayo, are your grades good enough to to fall asleep in my class? What's your GPA, Mayo? And I said, 3.97, sir. And he said, go back to sleep. (laughs)
0: you know what's funny man in, oh, in this moment so i only got one c at vmi and really that, it was from stevens
1: really? are you
0: serious yeah man, oh, man. so continue
1: <laughs> yeah and in the, in the other one i was in a math class and one of the professors woke me up he's like mayo wake up he's like what's the answer to this? And I looked at the boy, gave him the answer. He's like, all right, go back to sleep, man. <laughs> that is incredible. So it was kind of a no, thank man. I, I was I thinking, you know, playing football. I mean, you know, you know, the routine of VMI with football and any major and so late nights. And it was just tough to stay awake in class. Yeah. Um, no doubt. It was no cool, doubt. man. But yeah.
0: So any kid listening right now, um, Small invitation to sleep in class, as long as you know what the hell you're talking about when you wake up. And if you can, re- <laughs> if you can respond with my GPA is a 3.97, you might get that Hey, go back to sleep. I don't know. The mamas out there like you or might be challenging me in that moment, opening that door. Thanks so much, man, for that. What, what a funny thing to, 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 to share in this moment. Um, hey, let's talk a little bit more about education, uh, if we could. And I kind of reflected already on the mechanical engineering and then your path as it kind of matured. Uh, sports leadership and marketing was a master's degree, as I understand it for you, and then an MBA from VCU later. And so just curious, man, um, from mechanical engineering to sports management and marketing, can you just take me through that pivot? And what kind of inspired you to explore that?
1: Yeah, so when I, when I came out of VMI, I was, I was working at um, Ethel Corporation. And so I worked at Ethel Corporation for, gosh, almost five years, uh, three years. And then I worked for Verizon. Um, during that time, I realized that I wanted to start my own business. So I'd actually started my business, um, Avail kind of just a side business while I was still working as a mechanical engineer at Apple. And so because I was a mechanical engineering major, I realized, hey, if I'm going to run my own business or move into business in the corporate sector, I need to have more business classes. And so that was what inspired me to go for my MBA. So I started taking MBA course at VCU. And while I was there, I realized that they had the Center for Sport Leadership with the Masters in, in, in Sport Leadership, Sport Management, and so I decided to also do that degree. So I was able to um, really kind of do both of those degrees at the same time, part time while I was working full time. But I was had started a veil, so I was starting to focus on foundation management, um, working with pro athletes, helping them with their foundations. And so I'm like, wow, this, you know, Center for Sport Leadership could be a great tool to help me as I kind of, you know, get veil going and, and start to look at, you know, sports management around helping pro athletes and their foundations and doing some sports marketing and doing special events. And so that was what inspired me to, to move to the NBA and the Master in Sport Leadership.
0: Awesome, man. Uh, appreciate you sharing that out, boss. Um, I, I, did, I did not know um, that you kind of had that that desire and, and that servicing athletes specifically was a desire there. Um, and what I just want to also highlight in this moment is that shout out to the side hustle, right? I mean, I talk right. To people, <laughs> I, I mean seriously, I talk to people all the time that have an interest. In, hey, man, I think I might want to start my own business. And my advice in some way includes this idea of start it on the side first, right? And then yeah. here's another entrepreneur that's sharing his journey that when a veil began for you, it was a side hustle. You know, I think that's the birthplace for entrepreneurship, unless you have some significant amount of liquidity right or you happen to (laughs) Right, (laughs) Right. but i don't know that that happens didn't happen to me didn't happen to you all right (laughs) so shout out to the side hustle man and if you're thinking about starting your own thing start on the side first before you go all in in my opinion um let's let's, so let's continue with this idea uh, of entrepreneurship um you know in in your intro i kind of ran through a bunch of the stuff you're involved with um you know, number of companies from marketing to restaurant to cookies to software, but because I I have such an affinity and a strong, just love for sport and its impact. And, and, and because I was an athlete, you're an athlete. And I think that's been such a developmental portion of my adult life. I'd love to highlight in this moment, one of your businesses and that's Team XL, man. Um, Can you just take us through um, what this business is all about, how it serves young athletes and the work that you might be involved in right now with Team Excel?
1: Sure. Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, And just to give you you the list of the brief background on Team Excel, um, it actually started under um, a foundation called Excel to Excellence, and the founder of that organization was Michael Robinson, who's... I'm from Richmond, played at Penn State, played for the 49ers, played for the Seahawks. Um, And in 2013, Michael hired me and my firm, Avail, to run his foundation, Excel to Excellence. And so the first order of business was to create a program. Uh, Michael had a football camp, but he really wanted to do more to impact impact kids. And so I came up with this concept, Team Excel, and the language has changed, and I'll explain that in a minute, but the whole idea was to create kind of a reverse fantasy sports model where um, the pro athletes community mentors would serve as team coaches of student teams, but instead of those students competing based on you know tackles and touchdowns, they would compete based on metrics like grades, attendance, community service hours. And so essentially what we did was we took those metrics and turned it into a competition. So we started with three teams of 10 Started the program at Verona High School in Wrico County. Um, And each week, those individuals would get. So, if you and I were on a team, we would have our individual team score based on our grades, attendance, and community service hours. And we would have our team average, and we would compete with the other teams. So, weekly, they would get some type of small prize. And we also had a curriculum built around life skills, career exploration, and service learning. And so, we Again, started at Verona High School, expanded into uh, four additional schools in Henrico County. And a little over a year ago, we decided to, you know, we started looking at, you know, how do we expand Team Excel? How do we really create a national, if not global, Team Excel League? And one thing caught up, you know, really been a, a student of and fan of is, you know, social enterprises and how social enterprises can really have an impact you know, in the world. And so for those of you not familiar with the term social enterprise, it's really a a business that has some type of social mission. And so we pitched to our board to transition Team Excel from a program under the nonprofit Excel to excellence into a separate business uh, that was set up as a Virginia benefit corporation. And as a benefit corporation, we can legally make decisions based on our shareholder value and our social mission. And so we did that about a year ago. And in order to do that, we knew we had to build out a a mobile app that would allow schools or organizations anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, to adopt this Team Excel model. And our mission pretty much is to facilitate teamwork and competition to increase motivation and improve performance. And so we, we stepped back and really looked at the success we had with Team Excel over the years. And we our first group that went through ninth through 12th grade, they saw a 27% increase in their GPA.
0: Um, mm.
1: So if you think about that, I mean, that's, that's almost unheard of. And we also did some surveys that show, like, um, self-efficacy improved, academic motivation. Um, and our whole goal was to create servant leaders. Like, ultimately, that's what we want to do, build servant leaders. And so as, as we moved into this new model, Uh, We actually have a platform now where we can license uh, the Team Excel platform to other schools, you know, youth organizations, um, all across the country. So we're actually, we have a a partnership that we're going into with the University of Texas. They're going to kind of co-brand Team Excel with us for the Texas market. Um, We're talking to several school districts in the Richmond area. Um, talking to a few universities about adopting Team Excel for the actual college students to use it, and you know, I think down the road we may be, you know, looking at businesses and corporations on how they could use Team Excel. Because uh, we think about in life, you know, and, and you you being a sports guy as well, we know the importance of teams and how team dynamics can help improve performance, and we're we're doing that in a fun way. Um, through Team Excel
0: and our Team Excel platform. Wow, man, tremendous. Um, and I'm just sitting here listening, and my brain is just working as fast as possible uh, to understand. And, and I'm, I'm actually thinking, because you just opened the door to business integration, you know, when I worked for a software company, uh, Teamworks, and I was the leadership coach there, and one of the missions that I was given by the president of the company was to. In his own words, Zach Morita said, hey, Cord, I want you to enable the happiness and health of all of our employees because what he was really talking about mm. there is, is how can I ensure that they're fully engaged with this company, right? We're talking about engagement and engagement is right. a popular right. term in corporate America, right? He just used happiness and health, but that, that meant I'm engaged. I'm, I, have a, I have a love for the company that I'm working in. And, and what, what, I, what I did there was I, I, I put together a corporate well-being program. Mm. And so just in this moment, I'm thinking that how could Team Excel mature and maybe grow to service that sort of a space? Because maybe there's a there's a, way, a way there that it integrates right. with well-being and everyone defines well-being differently, but, but who knows, man. But hey, man, incredible. Good luck. It seems like it's, it's ever-evolving. Uh, if someone's interested that's listening, right, because I got a strong following of athletes um, that, that listen to this show. How do they learn more about Team Excel, Jonathan? Is it simply they just go to your LinkedIn profile, connect with you, or or how could someone learn more?
1: Yeah, they could connect with me directly through a LinkedIn profile. Um, They could email me. It's simply jmayo at goteamexcel.com, or they could go to our website. They can reach me through our website, which is goteamexcel.com.
0: All right, I know that most of my folks are consuming this thing while they're commuting somewhere, or involved in mile three of a five-mile run, or banging on some power cleaning jerks. <laughs> so I'll have all those handles listed uh, when I hang this this show at the end of it. But thanks for sharing that, man. Um, I, I want to continue to talk about your work as just an incredible person that takes ideas and takes and allows an idea to manifest into maybe an offering, and so. I was blown away when you talked briefly about Crow Cookies, man. Can you give me a little bit of insight <laughs> about what is Crow Cookies? How did this come into be reality for you, um, and, and and how does Crow Cookies kind of serve others?
1: Yeah, so that, that's so Crow Cookies is actually a a funny story. Um, when we had our second daughter, uh, we had an unplanned home birth, and so that's a whole another story, but. in the morning, my wife yells at me from the bathroom and our daughter's delivered in the bathroom, just me and her. Um, Maybe that's another show. Um, So we finally get to the hospital and our doula we were planning for a natural birth. And so the doula shares with my wife that she had this idea for her um, VBAC clients and VBAC stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. So a lot of times in the medical field, doctors tell women once you have a cesarean that you have to have one the next time. And so they tell women they can't have a natural birth. So they have this term VBAC. And so she said, hey, for my VBAC clients, I have this idea where women that were told they couldn't have a natural birth to send the doctors a batch of crow cookies to tell them to eat crow. (laughs) So I thought it was hilarious. And my wife shared it with me. And when Emily, our doula, came to the house the next day for the follow up, I said, "Emily, tell me about this whole crow cookie idea." Uh, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. We should we should really do it. Because she said, "You know, yeah, I thought about it for years, but you know, never done anything with it." So fast forward, we we partnered, started crow cookies, we started working on it. Uh, this was back in 2017. And we both got busy with our other business. She owns a, 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 a company called MyBird. And she got really busy. I got really busy. And so we put it on hold. Last year, I came back to it. And I had an intern working with me. And we said, you know, let's, let's, let's really work towards launching crow cookies. And so we launched it. And it's really a, a, a fun way to tell somebody to, to go eat crow. And so we have funny flavors like Sour Loser Lemon. Uh, goat meal raisin chocolate chump and our tagline is losing never tasted so good and so um we we I actually have a new partner in the business so we, we're taking a, a quick pause on production and we're redoing all of our marketing strategy and everything and we're going to probably release even the summer or the fall um, and come out with a, a fantastic marketing plan and put some more money into media to really get it out there but Um, The other social part of it, and and, and quote with all of my businesses there, there's a social element. And so as I started thinking about, you know, building the business of Crow Cookies, one thing that we want to do with our our vision for the company is to eventually have it where we can hire, you know, teenagers, out-of-school youth, or ex-offenders, and use it as a place where we can get people second chances, where they can, you know, come in and work, you know, production in the bakery is a, a, a pretty entry-level position that we could really teach anyone. Um, but also, you think about how it relates to the brand of eating crow, it's almost like giving people a second chance when now they could tell society you crow or tell somebody you crow to tell them they couldn't achieve, you know, and just kind of helping them with that first step of, of getting their life back on track. So that's, you know, it's a fun cookie brand that we're going to have a lot of fun with. I've had a, a lot of fun with building the brand uh, but also it's that social element that we want to have, where the company actually also stands for something and giving people a second chance. So, so yeah. So, so look to um, hear more about Crow Cookies in the in the future.
0: That's incredible, man. I, I got, <laughs> and just I'm inspired, man. Uh, just by listening to the story, man. A conversation led to a business, and with just some incredible meaning, you know. Life never, or losing, losing never felt so good as a tagline. And I tell you what, man, I can identify with that. And I think almost anyone that's lived a little bit of life can identify with that. And then kind of the social spin and the job opportunities you're creating for a certain unique market in this work, um, really, really interesting, man. So just just kind of that story in and of itself, I think, can be inspiring for someone that's thinking about an idea right now in this moment that they want to bring to life. And Hey, I'm, I'm, I mean, part of the reason I do this show is to build relationship. And so, you know, I am inviting anyone listening to, Jonathan's probably a guy you want to talk to if you've got an idea, because he's made a bunch of an idea a reality. And in keeping with that, I want to talk about another thing that you're involved with. And, and, I, and if we're good, man, just give me some insight to serving up change and the work that you're doing there with that company
1: yeah so serving of change was was really inspired uh, as i mentioned you know mentioned mama j's earlier um being a partner in the restaurant and really seeing a need that we had um you know being a small business being a small restaurant i'm sure other restaurants and small businesses can relate, relate to this you get hundreds and hundreds of requests for donations and so sometimes you have to say no, you know, unfortunately just as a small business can't always um, say yes to every, you know, school organization that's looking for, you know, a sponsorship or donation. Um, I know Mama J's, we do the, the best that we can. Um, but really that, what I saw, there was no, really no process. So it was just taking so much time for, you know, Lester to respond to requests. And, and once I came up with this, this idea of serving up change which which actually really originated from just my desire to get people more connected in their local community that was that was actually how the whole idea of serving up change came about and originally it was going to be you know events at restaurants where people came and learned about community groups and that idea evolved to what is now the platform where you know people can Businesses can sign up and they can use Serving Up Change as a platform to take all of their donation requests, but also they can use it to um, do what a lot of people are familiar with like spirit nights or Get back nights where, you know, you go to a restaurant and dine and they give a percentage back to charity. Um, we realized, hey, that, you know, that process is, you know, is tough because people are busy sometimes like Mama J's restaurants are smaller and really don't have the space to reserve a certain section for a spirit night or give back night. And so with our platform, it creates kind of a virtual spirit night where the organization can set up a fundraiser with the restaurant or other types of small businesses as well. And people can donate and the restaurants can offer, you know, gifts for those donations. So if you give let's say $20 to, you know, your local, you know, youth football team, you get a free appetizer or, you know, $30, you get a free entree. So they can customize those uh, fundraisers, but it creates a way where now instead of coming to the restaurant between, you know, six and 10 on a Monday night, when I have, you know, like you and I both have two kids, you got activities, you got other things going on, you can't get to the restaurant from six to eight on on a Monday night, Tuesday night. But you can go through our platform. You can make a donation, and then you can go and use that, you know, that gift card or um, reward at a at another time. So it makes it more efficient for the business, the organization, and the, and consumer to do these types of fundraisers. Wow,
0: well, I can think about right now <clears throat> in my own life, uh, Chick Fil A Mondays, right? My my kids' school talks about all the time. Hey, come join us at Chick Fil A. In your words, between six yep. to ten on Tuesday. I I, I never made it once.
1: You know? So you're solving, I mean,
0: someone told me a long time ago a business only works if it's solving a real problem. And this is a great way uh, where you are, you know, kind of assessed a problem that needs to be solved with serving up change. And so thanks so much for sharing that, my friend, super insightful. And I just want to take this full circle now in this moment, right? Because I'm running out of space on my paper here that I'm taking notes in this conversation. And I think I've got one, two, I've got six different businesses that you're involved with or have been involved with in the last 20 plus years, right? So Mama J's, Avail Incorporated, Team Excel, Crow Cookies, Serving up change. And to be honest, there's probably some I'm not even called out.
1: But Probably. <laughs> my, so, we'll
0: so, my, <laughs> so my question is, right? What advice do you have, man, in this moment for someone listening that has a dream to, to, to step into this entrepreneur space or to, or, or to launch something or is in the middle of launching something? Any advice you could offer up in this moment? to those aspiring entrepreneurs or ones that are just getting started?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, one thing I would I would say, or well, a couple of things. One thing would be, I loved your advice about, you know, if you're working in another job, start it on the side. Um, unless, like you say, you have the financial resources to just, you know, quit and do it full time and not have to worry about the finances. Most of us don't have that luxury, but Start it on the side. I agree with that. And try to figure out your your revenue path and how you're going to be successful um, and just be able to stay in business from a financial perspective. You know, we want to follow our passion, but we also have to be smart about, you know, how is this going to, you know, feed the family? Um, so make sure you do that. The second thing I would say is, and this is something Court, that I've, I've had to listen to and, and, and some of my advice would be always make sure you continue to learn and you also continue to um, be able to take constructive criticism and better yourself. And one thing that I'm trying to do a better job with, so I'm going to pass this <laughs> advice on to others. Um, like you mentioned, I've, being a serial entrepreneur, I, I, you know, I hear an idea and I want to do it tomorrow. Um, and one of my long-term mentors who's been a very, very successful businessman in Richmond, most people would know the name if I said it, he's really been on me about being focused. And so one thing i have you know, coming into 2020, um, I've really decided to focus on team Excel, you know, give it 200%. Um, some of the other businesses, I have partners now that I can, you know, they can kind of carry those businesses on, um, but really be laser focused. You know, set your goals high, but really, really be laser focused. And and I'm finding, even in the short time that I've decided to really say, hey, you know, I've got three businesses I'm running. I really need to take, you know, my mentor's advice and focus on one and put everything in that one business. I've seen the results already. Um, And I think if you have a passion for something and you can pour everything into it, I think you'll be successful. I think the other advice I would say is you have to be persistent and you have to be resilient. Um, there's times, you know, in this journey of of being focused, well, I've had three weeks of runway. Um, and if some people don't understand, you know, startup terminology of runway, that's how much money you have in the bank to survive. (laughs) And (laughs) so I've had three weeks of runway and, you know, I've gotten to the point where, you know, I had I actually applied for one job, you know, and it got to that point And I, I didn't really think I was going to have to get a job, but I had to prepare just in case. Um, and so sometimes you have to do things you may not want to do. Uh, that was something I didn't want to do, but I had to just, you know, look into the future like, hey, I may have to take a job. So let me apply for a job, apply for one. Uh, but I, I got some more investment capital, so. Uh, that was actually able to extend my runway. But when I was at three weeks of run, three weeks of runway, I was a little worried, but not too worried. You know, yeah. and I think once once you've been in the entrepreneur game for a while, you have to be resilient and realize, okay, I'm not going to stress. I'm not going to, you know, turn and, and run away. I'm going to just, you know, okay, do I have to make ten more calls a day to potential investors or you know, 20 more calls a day to potential customers. You know, what do I need to do to pick it up to make sure um, that I get through this? And, you know, and that's the part of you know being persistent um, and also you know being um, resilient and and not letting the because to they're going to be tough times if you're an entrepreneur. I mean, you're, they're going to be some tough times. You know, everybody's going to get to their you know, it may not be three weeks of runway, but everyone's going to get to that you know, challenge that they have to face and figure out how they can be persistent and be resilient at the same time to get, get through that challenge. So, but as long as you have, you're doing something that you're passionate about. And I, and I told, uh, you know, I spoke to the class of students a few weeks ago. I shared with them the, the three weeks of runway story, you know, I said, you know, because I'm so passionate about the work that I'm doing with Excel and how I've seen the impact and how we're impacting young people and, you know, the potential to impact college students and just impact, you know, people all around the world because I'm so passionate about that, I'm able to deal with three weeks of runway. If I wasn't passionate about it, I would just say, you know, man, forget this, you know, I'm gonna go do something else, not worth it. Um, So once you find that thing that you're truly passionate about, uh, that would be my advice Just you know, be focused, be disciplined, but also be persistent and be resilient.
0: Love it, man. Thank you for that uh, advice coming at you as a listener from Jonathan here. Serial entrepreneur um, involved with tons of stuff. Uh, I wrote down what I'm going to call four things with a bonus, right? So let me just brief this back to the listener. Number one, the four things coming from Jonathan, advice. If you're considering stepping into an entrepreneurship opportunity or if you're dealing with one right now, number one, start it on the side. Number two, Follow your passion, right? Um, which, which I would also add on top of that is the best places where talent and passion aligns. So if you're real passionate, but you ain't got a talent, I mean, Jonathan talked about, hey, I was really good at math and science. So I ran towards being a mechanical engineer. Awesome, right? If you don't have that talent, you better partner with someone that does because passion alone will not get you there, in my opinion. Um, be open to criticism. And, and and the meaning you made in that moment as you continued to have this growth mindset is you assessed a gap in focus. And you said, I got to focus. And when you did with Team Excel, you've seen a lot of fruits of that focus. Uh, the third thing here, um, be persistent. And the fourth thing, be resilient. And as you went through that story uh, with the three weeks of runway, you know, the other thing that I'm hearing, especially when you talked about the job that you applied for because you weren't sure how things were going to work out moving forward. The bonus I'm talking about, this is coming from me as I listen to your story, is also this idea of, of do some contingency planning and know that you may have to activate something totally different, which is going to full-time work for someone else, which you haven't done for years in order to the side hustle to continue to grow. So thanks for sharing that, man. I think it's super informative. Uh, anything else that you wanted to add to that or that maybe inspired you just as I briefed it back to you?
1: Uh, no, that, I think that sums it up. Um, like I say continue to learn, you know, add new skills. I just, you know, being, you know, in, in the house the last few days, I've, I've taught myself bookkeeping. <laughs> and so I've saved some money. I've saved some money on what I pay my accountant at the end of the year uh, because I usually just have them do all my bookkeeping and I've learned journal entry. And I mean, is it, you can learn everything on YouTube these days. And so I taught myself that and I've, I'm proud of myself that I was able to, to save some money by just teaching myself that skill. So always, <laughs> always, you know, be willing to learn and, and learn new skills.
0: Yeah, man, no doubt. And I'd like to kind of pivot into this sort of a conversation and talk specifically about your ability to perform at a high level. Because in my opinion, as I've looked at everything that you've done, you're clearly a high performer Um, and people tune into this show because they can guarantee, I hope, that they're going to have a fun, engaging, entertaining conversation because we got guests like you that come on here that do that for us. And they're also going to walk away with some perspective on high performance. And it usually comes in some insight, to some habits that you might maintain. You just talked about maybe a new one you're going into there. I think it ties to a larger habit of just hard work, right? And just figuring stuff out. But I'm really curious in this moment, Jonathan, if you could comment for us on when you reflect back as your time being a college athlete, and maybe there's some of the things that even before college athletics, that that sport maybe taught you from a habit place um, that you believe you've carried with you through your adult life? Are there any habits that have a birthplace in sport that have allowed you to perform at a high level today or just habits in general?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, I would say one thing that, you know, and DMI kind of, makes you do this right. you know um it's, it's, it's create a routine you know and 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 part of my you know it's interesting when i look look back at my vmi days i always my grades were always better during football season than in the off season and it's kind of counterintuitive because you would think you know and i would have thought you know i have more time so i i should do better but what i realized is that having a, a, a packed full schedule really forced me to, to have a routine. And that was something that, you know, at VMI, you know, you, you had class, you had practice, you had study time. I mean, it was you, – you definitely had a routine at VMI. And that's something I've, I've kind of carried over into my, my work life is is having a, a routine. Part of mine is I like to start my days early, you know, so mm-hmm. I like to get up at, you know, 4.30, you know, 4 o'clock, 4 a.m. sometimes, and, you know, have a, a few hours in the morning before the kids get up and, you know, have to get them off to school to just get up and answer some emails or do some work while i where I really, you know, writing a proposal or something where I just really need that quiet time. And, you know, that, that's part of my routine. And so I think, you know, having that routine is something that, you know, one of those one of those kind of habits um, that I've, I've I've grown into and then the other thing is you know trying to set not just set goals but also review goals on a on a on a daily or at least some type of periodic basis to know how how you're really doing towards those goals and that's something that it's a habit that I haven't been great at to be honest with you I'm trying to you know that's that's one I'm working on being even better at uh, but having those goals and now I'm really trying to get to you know not just reviewing the the ultimate goal but now looking at what are the other things that I have to do that affect the long term goals so if it's making twenty calls a day or thirty calls a day it's really looking at those kind of sub goals that sometimes we don't look at and so that's what i'm I'm actively working on because I've pretty much you know been accustomed to looking at the bigger goal um, but was something I'm really working on and I would, I would suggest to others, and I've gotten this advice from other people that have been successful, um, you know, what, what are those sub-goals that help you get to those bigger goals? Yeah. Um, and reviewing those on, a, on a, a, you know, whether it's a daily or some type of really periodic basis.
0: Absolutely, man. Uh, thanks for sharing that, man. Two, two habits uh, that you believe are tied back to, to sport, uh, specifically is routine, right? And then the second one is setting goals and reviewing them on a regular basis. Uh, And I can just say, amen, right? Like I I argue all the time, one of the differentiators between high-performing and underperforming organizations is the ability to clearly manage expectations. What I'm talking about here is a a manager and a direct report. And that all comes from, hey, here's what I expect out of you. Here are the goals for the next 90 days. And then we're going to talk about them at the end of every month. And whether you're meeting them or not, and then, you know, how do we kind of solve for that? How do we take action to keep moving things forward? Another thing I want to just share in this moment because it's a gift that I got from a previous guest, and I think it might resonate for you in this moment, and he calls it a goal ladder. You know, and if you can think of this this picture, when you talked about this overall goal, think of a ladder. And what are the rungs on the ladder? What are the sub-goals that are going to get you to that, you know, major goal you're working towards. And, and I think that might be a way metaphorically that a picture could settle in like, okay, uh, I might be able to work with that. Um, me in my own life, right, in January, I've been doing this for the past three years deliberately. I set three professional goals and three personal goals for my life. And then I actually write on my calendar, just like an appointment with a client at the end of every month, it's called annual goal review. And so I have a 12 month goal and every month I'm deliberately reviewing it and seeing where I'm at. And some I'm going to miss. I already know that. And I think that's helpful for me. Right. And I'm only a couple months into right. the year, but I know some of them I'm going to miss and I can explore, well, why is that court? Why did that happen? Uh, Cause sometimes I think the goals that we give ourselves might be inaccurate and knowing why that is, is important. So, Hey man, just, Appreciate the opportunity for me to kind of add to uh, to the things that you attribute your ability to perform at a high level um, from a habit place. Um, I think there's really two questions left, my man. The the next one, I think, is equally important and that you're well qualified to comment on and that folks have an interest in hearing about. It's just teaming and high-performing teams. I mean, you've talked about you and Lester's relationship um, with the Mama J's restaurant. You shared about um, you know, you have some opportunity with some partnerships that have evolved for you, where you can kind of give more work from a delegation place to someone else, so you can focus on team Excel. Shoot, man, you, you played competitive sport at the Division One level with football. You know about teams, and so right. just in, in your own words, man, when you think about what a high-performing team looks like. Could you maybe share any thoughts on, on the habits or characteristics of that high-performing team based upon your experience?
1: Sure, um, that's that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, one I would think I would say the one thing that we well, there there are a couple of things I'll talk about. The one that really that always comes first to mind is is accountability. Um, when you have high-performing teams, either that I've been a part of or, you know, I've I've kind of coached through our, like, Team Excel teams, when the individuals on the team are accountable to each other and they respect and honor that, that need to be accountable, that's when I really see high-performing teams. Because now you, you move from, you know, the personal – you know, accolades or the personal performance. To, you know, my performance is connected to my team's performance. And so now I want I want to make sure that my performance is, is better because I want to make my team better. And also, if I can help my teammate, that's going to help my team be better. And I realize that, that that we're all accountable to each other. So that's one huge thing that that we coach um, with, the, whether it's our Team Excel teams or just you know, being in sports and and the teams that have been really successful is, you know, everybody has to do their part, you know, thinking about, you know, my days playing, you know, football, you had to, everybody had a job, you know, and and, and one great way to kind of, you know, describe it, you think about, you think about playing against a team that runs the wishbone and the option. And so when you play against a team that runs the option, everybody's assigned to, to one person, right? So if I'm the linebacker and I'm assigned to the, the quarterback, then I have to stay on the quarterback. If I try to anticipate the pitch and I go out for the pitch and the quarterback runs, you know, 30 yards, it was because I tried to do somebody else's job and I didn't stay disciplined and, and do my job. Um, so, you know, I think about teams and being accountable. It's, you know, making sure you're you're doing your part to make the team better. And then I also think, you know, teams that are, are complementary, and so complementary skill sets, I think is really important. Um, when you find really good teams, you find that there's a diverse set of skill sets that and, and experiences that people bring to a team that are able to share and make the team better. Um, when you have you know, kind of teams with the same types of people or same types of background. You don't, you don't benefit from um, the diversity of thought of experiences or individuals to make a great team. Um, And then just respecting one another, you know, just having respect for your, for your teammates um, goes a long way in the creating, you know, high performing teams. So those are three things that I would, I would, I would say, you know, based on my experience really, really leads to creating a high-performance team.
0: I love it, man. Three things coming at you strong here from Jonathan. High-performing teams are, are found in and around holding each other accountable and accountability. Number two, um, being and in your own words, um, by having a diverse skill set. And then number three, they respect each other. And I, I love these. And, uh, and I, let me just share a couple thoughts that I'd like to in this moment, given what you talked about. Accountability. I want to be really clear in this moment, in my opinion, know that if you're managing people right now, the burden of responsibility is on you to establish, and I'll go back to what we talked about five minutes ago, what success looks like for the people under your charge. So if you have direct reports, you got to tell them what they're accountable for. And it has to be clearly articulated in a metric-based way. And I know Jonathan can get behind me on this with his mechanical engineering brain. Because it has to be that way, right? And let me also say this. If you work for a manager that sucks at doing that, the burden of responsibility lies on you, the direct report to be thirsty for those answers. And you say, hey, Jonathan, I need to know what success looks like for me in the next 90 days in this role. And if that manager can't deliver that for you, Maybe lead them, lead up through that moment and say, well, here's what I think it could be. And once you get their approval and endorsement, then you know you have clarity. That allows focus to occur and you can excel in your work. So people talk about accountability all the time, but how do we do it well? Well, there's a perspective from me and who I think owns that in that team environment. Other thing I want to talk about is this idea of complementary teams because I think it's beautiful. and I don't hear it a lot, but I just want to talk about a small nuance to this, in my opinion, I think what we're calling out, and in, in, in Jonathan's words, he said, "complementary in your skill set." So I think specifically what we're talking about here is building a diverse team where the skills are different. Because I've been in a lot of teams when we've just hired people that look just like me and have the same skills that I have, and I think we can argue in a moment that that serves a purpose. Because that process, specifically in special forces, has existed for a long time, and they're looking for a certain person to fill that role, to execute in that way. And so diversity can be really helpful there on teams when you have different skill sets because you get different ideas when that occurs. But where I think diversity is not good and can degrade a team's performance is when we talk about behavioral norms or core values. I think you've got to have alignment within the team to perform at a high level in that place. So I just want to offer up how important diversity is from a skill set place, but I think how important it also is to not degrade your culture of your organization and have clearly articulated values that you hold people accountable to and that you specifically hire for and a process to do that. So respect, I don't need to say a thing about it. it. It speaks for itself. But Jonathan, I just appreciate your opportunity not knowing you were going to share these and just having. And allowing me to marinate on them a little bit, so appreciate it, my man. Anything else That's great, man. in your moment that that shows up, boss?
1: Uh, no. I w- the only other thing I would I would add to to teams would be having a common goal, um, and and I think you you, you definitely touched on that. Um, but if if we don't have a common goal, what are we working towards? And so, I, and, and buying into that that common goal, and I and I definitely agree with with you on, you know, making sure you maintain the values. Um, you know, the, there's certain things you you can't compromise as a team or organization. Um, but yeah, I would I would just add the that common goal. You know, what is and and all everyone being really really clear on what is that ultimate goal. And I think you touched on it when you talked about accountability.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a big one. We're talking about in my mind, vision and mission. What is the vision for this organization? And what is the mission? How are we going to get it done? And I think when you have that, focus happens. And that was something, again, we're calling out that's important in in your own sharing of what was important to you. So, hey, man, I I think that's a wrap, boss. One more question. I just want to get out there and I'm curious about what's next for you?
1: What's next for me is this, you know, continuing to focus on team Excel and growing Team Excel. Uh, that's you know, we, we have our first uh version of the product built. Um so we starting to get some traction with clients and you know, hopefully, you know, with you know, things with, you know, our current situation we'll we'll get through that. But in the fall we're looking to release it to, you know, some schools and universities and you know, really have it out there in the market. We have actually, we had a few schools that were actually using it. Um, of course, schools are all, all out now here, uh, but we had the first product built. So it's just, you know, for me, raising more investment capital and working on growing our customer base. So just trying to, you know, follow my mentor's lead on that, that whole thing of being focused and, and for the rest of 2020, really, really focusing on um, growing Team Excel
0: love it man um excited for you i'm watching you from afar and and uh, hopefully um have an opportunity to maybe expose folks in my network to the work that you're doing not only with this podcast but with some conversations now with a deeper understanding of what you've got going on um hey man that's a wrap that. yeah no doubt that's a wrap on the show um, I'd love to invite you to break us out and back into our day in the way that we do it here on the show and that is with the High Performance Breakdown and it's, it's, it's simple and I know, you know, you might get flashbacks to being in the huddle uh, out on the football field <laughs> and that's okay because that's where it comes from, right? It's this idea right. of how can, I, how can I close out and inject a bit of energy and excitement to the listener as we get them into their day chasing high performance in their own life and so it goes like this, boss. I'm going to speak the words Breakdown on three and i'm going to count one two three when you hear the word three i'm going silent you're alone on your own giving us three claps followed by the spoken words boom shakalaka and then anything else that you're moved to share in that moment although nothing's required any questions about this high performance breakdown my man
1: nope i'm ready
0: All right, let's get it. Breaking us out for season two, episode 12, my man, Jonathan Mayo, the serial entrepreneur. Thanks so much for being here with us today, brother. Break down on three. One, two, three.
1: Boom shakalaka. Be persistent, be resilient.
0: Absolutely, man. Keys to the future for anybody out there on the grind, on the hustle. Be persistent, be resilient. Hey, To connect with Jonathan, find him on LinkedIn at Jonathan Mayo, that's spelled M-A-Y-O. I'm going to have all the incredible handles to his company, Team Excel specifically, and his email address on this podcast in the notes, so you can refer to it there. Now, I'm challenging you in this moment, get out there, consider what Jonathan shared today, allow it to inspire you in your life, and chase high performance.